Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, with the country in a crisis because of coronavirus 19, this morning's gospel lesson is actually very apt. The case of the man who was born blind. We're going to touch upon the disciples' reaction, the Pharisees' reaction, your reaction, and finally, your actions. The disciples' first reaction upon encountering this man was that either the man's parents had sinned or, ridiculous thought, the man himself. They had the idea that is commonly held in all religions except true Christianity. More about that later. That idea is that life is a set of debits and credits, that God weighs your good deeds against your bad ones, and in the end, that which weighs the most determines the temperature of your final destination, heaven or hell. Another idea is that God isn't fair. That idea had plagued Israel almost from the word go. And we ask ourselves, how could the disciples be so blind? Two millennia later, people still walk around with that kind of idea, that God goes around like a vindictive bully, looking for an opportunity to punish anyone who dares sin. Lots of people have the idea that God owes them a life of moonlight and roses. In fact, a lot of the prosperity gospel folks preach that. Even members of churches where that heresy is not preached can often be heard saying, Why is God allowing this? Or, Why is God punishing me? Some even go so far as to say, if there were a God, he would not have allowed this. How can they possibly be so blind? The mistake that Jesus' disciples made, you and I also make, time and time again. It is endemic to humanity. On the one hand, the idea that life consists of credits and debits, and on the other hand, that God, being good, being loving, and being love himself, is obliged to ensure that you never get sick, never get hurt, and never suffer any loss, ever. Talk about blind. A man was born blind, not because of what his parents did, and most certainly not because of what he had done before he was born either. No, the works of God need to be displayed in him, 
as Jesus explained. And then, having said that, Jesus did what the church leaders of his time regarded as breaking the Sabbath. Jesus spat on the ground, mixed mud, and ordered the man to go to the pool of Siloam to wash. How terrible! How dare he mix mud on the Sabbath! How dare he heal someone on the Sabbath! How utterly tragic! They had no objection to Jesus making the sun rise on that Sabbath morning. Okay, they did not know who he was. They had no objection to Jesus making the birds sing on that lovely Sabbath. Well, they, they, they didn't know who he was, you know, kind of excuse. They had no objection to Jesus giving them life and breath on that Sabbath. But then they did not know who he was. But is that an excuse? Jesus had performed a miracle. Now that was a fact that could not be denied. Jesus had done something that identified him as someone infinitely more than a wayward rabbi. And that was a fact that they strenuously denied. How could they be so blind? I mentioned two weeks ago that there were good Pharisees and then there were bad ones. The miracle that Jesus did went a good way towards dividing the good Pharisees from the bad ones. Now, you and I are Christians. So often you hear people saying, we are Christians. And then they go on and act like died in the wool pagans. More often than not, you're tempted to say, just say that a bit louder, would you? Your actions and attitudes are shouting so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. So often, you and I act in such a way that nobody would mistake you or me for a Christian. Denying the fact that Christ is your righteousness, that Christ is your peace, that Christ is your salvation, that Christ is your comfort in life and in death, in fact, that Christ is your life. And it seems God needs to tell you and me, do us a favor, nudge up the volume control a few notches when you say the creed, would you? Your thoughts, your words, your actions, deny me so loudly that I can't hear you saying the creed. Are we so blind? The prayer of Psalm 119, verse 18, should be your and my constant prayer, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Open thou mine eyes. 
Jesus opened the eyes of the man who was born blind. After the Pharisees had kicked the man out of the temple, Jesus looked him up and then opened his eyes so that he could see his Messiah. To see the Messiah. Aye, there's the rub. Sir, we would see Jesus, the Greeks asked Philip. Don't we all? Especially in a time like this. Coronavirus 19 is a worldwide reality. Last weekend, the Zimbabwean Minister of Defense said uh, that it is God's punishment on the West for imposing sanctions on Zimbabwe. Fortunately, President Nangagwe gave her a public rebuke for her efforts and countered with a statement to which we can all relate. I'm just going to mention the last sentence in his speech. Something I would dearly love to hear our government's officials say. He ended with, God bless you all. God bless you all. As far as I'm concerned, that is true statesmanship. But is coronavirus 19 God's punishment? Is it God's reaction to your sins? God forbid. Sure, that is the idea that almost all religions will have in common. That you must do your level best to obtain the reward of heaven. And if you slip up, God will get you. All religions except true Christianity. True Christianity rejoices in the truth of God's word, which says, This is a true saying and worthy of all to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. True Christianity rejoices in the truth of God's word, which says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are called according to his purpose. True Christianity rejoices in the truth of God's word, which says, Surely he hath borne our griefs, and upon him was laid the iniquity of us all. And those glorious words of the word himself, it is finished. True Christianity finally rejoices in the truth of God's word, which says, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. In short, true Christianity rejoices. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Not a false jubilation. There's not much to clap hands and shout with joy about in today's situation. Quite the contrary. Scripture says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who, who mourn. And at the moment, we have every reason to be very serious. What should you do? What is the proposed cause, course of action? 
Those of you who have Facebook will probably have seen the irreverent cartoon that says, Be kind and loving like Jesus and wash your hands like Pilate. Irreverent, yes, but you need to wash your hands. You need not to well, you need to not touch your face. Those things we read all over, we see all over, we hear all over. I don't need to mention them in a sermon. I'll just close with what Martin Luther said. He lived when the plague was still a reality. And he gave some excellent advice. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. In other words, pray without ceasing. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and, perform and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, he concludes, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy. Stay calm. Stay safe, stay healthy, and always keep in mind the closing verse of A Mighty Fortress, Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen.